I'm Andrew Burke. This is a very special episode, not only because it's now officially the off-season, uh, it's a very special episode because producer Rob has become addicted to caffeine pills. Now, it's not that kind of very special episode. We're doing an awards show. Uh, so remember to subscribe to the podcast and rate, review us on Apple, Stitcher, etc., etc. But let's talk a little bit more about our year-end awards that are all made-up fake awards. Uh, Gaby, what award is to the real, red carpet. Really? No, oh, they're very real, but they're they're made up. Yes, they're imaginary. Oh, they're every not award that for. has ever been given and has ever been received and ever will be given is it's all just a construct. There's no yeah. such thing as a real award. Podcasts are just a social construct, man. Yeah. Gaby, now that we're on the red carpet, I have to ask, who are you wearing to the year-end awards? Oh, well, I'm wearing a. Uh, a champion brand is it champion brand? I'm wearing a champion brand uh, uh, Washington State uh, U14 softball something NSA uh, sweatshirt. It's very uh, on trend. For yeah, the year. It's design champions technically a designer in yeah. that. I don't know. Mister or Ms. Champion. Yeah. Very All right. Champion. So I. I thought through this, I couldn't settle on a name. Uh, I think the naming convention for awards is to put E's on the end of something, so we could be like the All We Hear-E's or the Purple-E's. Um, I was leading towards the good dogs or the very good dogs. Wait, I have a nomination. Yes. The very good boys. The very good boys. These all good dogs. Good dogs are, they're good boys. Right. Okay, let's go with it. The very good boys. Very good. Some of boy. these will be non, not men. Some of them will be objects or things. So uh, they'll be boys for this. Yeah. So the first award, uh, which was contrived at the last minute to talk about the breaking news of the day, uh, producer Rob, drum roll please. It's the We Hate to See You Go, but We Love Watching You Leave Award. And the very good boy goes to Mike Leach, who has left Washington State for Mississippi State as. We said he would earlier in the year. Didn't say Mississippi State necessarily, but some strong indications this would be the end for him in the Palouse. Uh, Gaby, what do you think of Leach moving on? Are you is that an accurate description? Hate to see him go, but love watching him leave. Yeah, I think that's kind of the perfect description, especially because every year, like it was such a such a middle finger to Wazoo every year that he would always be pretty publicly shopping around for another job and. And so I'm kind of sad that we won't get that little carousel again. Um, but, yeah, it's such a – like, I'm so sad, just especially because I wanted to see the Apple Cup against Jimmy Lake as a head coach. Uh, but it is – there's something about the indignity of it all that that is entertaining in its own way. It is pretty funny. It's probably a good sign that he's moving on if the arch-rivals fan base is all extremely upset that the coach is leaving. Like, they would probably rather have somebody – uh, that we were afraid of and didn't want coaching there. Uh, as it worked out, I thought the press release, uh, or it may not have been a formal press release, but 
something from his camp said something about how it was a really tough decision, but the recruiting availability and the resources just made it too tough to pass up, and he just couldn't miss out on this chance of coaching the SEC, which is funny because he's, like you said, put his name out for every possible job in the last three years or whatever. So he just couldn't pass up this opportunity or – you know, Tennessee or Rutgers or Missouri or whatever, like 11 jobs of uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's also kind of a, that whole like description of like, oh yeah, the resources for recruiting, it's kind of stupid because in, I mean, in any, anything really, but especially in sports and especially in college sports, like sure, I guess ostensibly you have access to better recruiting grounds. Like totally you do. Obviously it's like, you don't have to be stupid to say that the South doesn't have better recruiting um, just in the talent that's available because they're more highly, you know, have a higher concentration of population than, you know, and obviously more people are playing football, or higher percentage of people are playing football down there. But everything that exists in talent acquisition exists in relation to your competitors. Right. So it doesn't matter, matter if technically, sure, you have better talent availability. You still have Hard, are going to have a harder time getting that talent than, like, pretty much every school around you other than maybe Arkansas, like, within, you know, states that are relatively close. I mean, if you look at, sure, here he was going up against UW, Oregon, Oregon State, Boise State, and, you know, Colorado, whoever you want to put. But, okay, now you're sure you have access to better talent ostensibly, but you're going up against Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, uh, LSU, Georgia, Tennessee, and just, like, if you even go out of the conference, Clemson, yeah, far away, yeah, yeah, it's, and it's like okay, but it could easily end up being way, way harder for him than Wazoo, and I wouldn't totally be shocked if it is. Yeah, I think that's right. I, that there's more talent in an absolute sense, but not in a relative sense because the talent yeah. that's there isn't going to Starkville. Uh, I do. Th- it makes sense to me in a way from Mississippi State's standpoint that they're, for the, all the reasons you just said, they're not going to get better players and out-execute uh, Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi, LSU by just doing the same things. They have to do something different. And that's kind of his career. That Texas Tech was in a similar position relative to their closest neighbors, Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Texas A&M at the time, et cetera. And then Wazoo similarly kind of had a – recruiting resource disadvantage relative to the teams in their division, UW, Oregon, Stanford, Cal. And he does something that's different enough. That they're probably not going to win the division. They're probably never going to win the conference. They're definitely never going to win a national title. But, you know, in both those places, he made high-end bowl games. He had double-digit win seasons. If he stays at uh, Mississippi State for six years and comes away with a 10 or 11 win season and a couple other eight or nine win seasons, they'd probably be pretty happy with that. I mean, that's, that's kind of like the upside that uh, they had with Dan Mullen there. And he was yeah. very well liked as a coach. So, you know, I get it from their point of view, but I also understand, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't feel too bad. Right. I, I am not afraid of uh, him as a, a, a true contender as a, on a national scale. Yeah. Totally. Uh, any feelings Wait, about his, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say really quickly, I think that kind of how you, what you were just talking about kind of sums up why I think I think Mississippi State was smart to go for him. I don't think he was that smart to go for Mississippi State simply because, um, like, you're looking at them, their their resources and their, you know, h- historical level that they play on. Um, 
relative to everyone around them is kind of that position like um like wazoo where um you know they're they're not typically going to be be near the top and so and that's kind of where he thrives except for the one difference being that so much of the talent that he's going to be competing for is like it's so much more concentrated than at lubbock or pullman uh where you know you yeah but um so I think I just sorry that was I'm getting distracted because I have the UW basketball game on in the background on mute and it's making me way less articulate than I normally am which is even not already that articulate um but yeah I think they made a good call with him I mean as purely from a um from a get the most out of what position is standpoint even if I don't know how well the air raid is going to do down there and I don't know how he as a person is going to do down there. Um, but the just from an on-field standpoint and kind of where he specializes in, um, I think it's a good call for them, maybe not for him. But we'll see. I, I agree with all that. I, you know, I guess maybe from his end, this, the, the SEC has more money probably better facilities and resources than any other conference. And this is his one chance to get into an SEC school. Like you said, he, he was looking at Arkansas, but he's not going to get hired at Georgia or Florida or Alabama because they yeah. don't need to do something different to be successful. They can do what everybody else does and just do it better. So, yeah. you know, maybe this is just a chance for him to make the most money at the best uh, football program that he'll ever have access to. We'll see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, though, like with the relative depth of talent and the teams that they're playing against. It'll be a uh, very different calculus than what he was dealing with in the Pac-12. Uh, speaking of, are there any names that have been circulated so far that jump out to you as potential successors for WSU? I, I know Alex Grinch's name was floated, uh, a handful of others. It's really kind of too early to get a handle on who's likely to be hired, but is there anyone who you would really like to see, really not like to see that you've heard about so far? Uh, like, not like to see as a UW fan? Right, or, yeah. Or, uh, would, would put a chill down your spine? I don't think... I don't think so, simply because just like how it's hard to recruit to Wazoo for players, I mean, they it's kind of hard for them to recruit for coaches as well, um, just because their resources relative to, you know, a lot of the schools around here or nationally where they would pick from um, are, are less than a lot of the other people they'd be going up against. Um, I, uh, I forgot. I mean, obviously, I heard that Graham Harrell wasn't really interested, which I think is smart of him, given his position at USC and how he could leverage that in a year or two for a higher profile uh, uh, school if he wanted that. Um I think Grinch would be interesting simply because, I mean, he turned their defense around so fast, but it, it would, I just think that would be interesting to see then for the first time in who knows how long if, if Wazoo were to have a defensive-minded head coach, then what form does their offense take and who does he bring in to lead that offense? Um, I just think that would be a pretty interesting style. Yeah, it would be. I, and I honestly don't know too much about Grinch's uh, abilities as a reputation as a recruiter. Uh, another thing you often will wonder about when you when a uh, coordinator takes over as a head coach for the first time, we've heard a lot about that for Jimmy Lake. So, you know, 
little bit of a different situation for him. Uh, I don't know whether Grinch would be as successful in that regard. So uh, it's just another question mark for him. And that's even assuming that he's interested in the job. I mean, there are only so many head coaching jobs, sure, but the level of success he's had uh, as a defensive coordinator the last few years and the caliber of programs he's worked with, perhaps something even more attractive opens up because although it is a Power 5 conference, uh, Washington State is probably not one of the most desired head coaching jobs for an aspiring head coach who's built a good reputation for himself. All right, is that enough on our contrived award that was just meant to take uh, some some time to talk about the news of the day. Are we ready to move into some more uh, very good boys? I am so ready to move into the best boys. The best boys. All right, so this one, these next few actually are uh, specific to individual players, so they fit the nomenclature well. The next one is the Coleman Shelton Award for a lightly recruited breakout player. And the best boy goes to, and this one should be pretty easy, uh, Eddie Lofosh, any debate about that? It seems like, you know, a walk-on who moved from special teams gunner to, in some senses, savior of the defense as a middle linebacker who can chase down uh, runners and make tackles uh, really helped turn the corner in the second half. Do you agree with that one, or do you have any other nominees you think deserve some attention? Uh, uh, Yep, I agree with that completely. No uh, dissent here at all. I'm um, I'm writing today. Well, today when this is published, it'll be out. But today, now when we're recording, I was writing the season in review uh, on the rushing defense, and it pretty much in the linebackers' uh, contributions to the rushing defense. Anyway, pretty much all just came down to. Uh, and then Eddie Hulafoshio came in, and he was the only one who you could trust. <laughs> um, and it's not even a matter. I feel like or it's not even only about just him coming in and really just clearly having both the combination of the instincts and the physical abilities that uh, none of the seniors, the two seniors had together. And, you know, the young guys are so young and just hadn't put it together as fast as Ulofosio had. Um, but more than that, it's just like he, I feel like going into next year, he is, in my mind anyway, should be unquestionably the pillar of that kind of center of the defense. I mean, whether Sermon or Tafisi or maybe Josh Calvert or Daniel Hamuli end up um, kind of beside him more often, uh, who knows who that'll be. And I, I think I, I have a decent amount of confidence in, in whoever ends up in that position. But um, it feels so much better going into 2020 than – in retrospect, it should have felt going into 2019 uh, just because you know you have that one guy you can trust. And then, you know, even if there's the other guy next to him isn't necessarily killing it on the same level he is, um, it's it's still nice just, you know, they can kind of pick up that slack and have that kind of sideline to sideline rubbing ability. Um, so seeing him come in there and do that, fully agree with you. I don't really think there's anyone else who yeah. could compete on that level. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I very much agree with you uh, with the idea that he has established himself as a foundational piece of that position group over the next few years, which and even as somebody who was really high on him and wanted to see him get more run early in the season when Wellington was struggling so much uh, and Manu, yeah, I, I didn't see it coming that way, to this degree. I thought he'd be uh, somebody who could plug the gap and just kind of like 
get us through to next year when Tafisi could come back and Himui and Calvert would be, uh, you know, ready to play and, and healthy. Uh, and he's been so much better than that. Like, just slowly over the course of the season, he just kind of checked all the boxes. So probably need to put on a little bit more weight over time. But, you know, he proved he can make tackles in the open field even at his current size. So I'm, I'm very high on him. So let's get to the yeah. next award, um, the next – uh, very good boy, is the Skin the Cat Award, as in there's more than one way to skin the cat. And this one uh, goes to Jacob Easton for having almost Jake Browning's exact statistical output from last year in a completely different way. Uh, they looked totally different doing it, but both quarterbacks had 64% completions for 3,200 passing yards. Uh, you could say Easton was a little bit better because he threw a few more touchdowns and a couple fewer interceptions. But in the end, we had we moved from the uh, you know so-called noodle arm cerebral quarterback to the big arm, uh, high uh, pedigree, less uh, intellectual quarterback, and got pretty much the exact same thing. Did that surprise you? Did you see it kind of shaking out this way, or, or uh, did you kind of expect that? our offense is our offense and there are a lot more factors at play than just the quarterback. Uh, yeah, I think, I think I, I mean, I think I expected him, especially after the, maybe the first month or so, uh, I think I expected maybe a few more, um, touchdown passes. So I thought that statistic might be up a little bit. Um, and then, you know, I, I feel like not, I feel like I know statistically he kind of cooled off the last month or so of the season. Um, but yeah, I think, other than that, though, just based on how um, even, I guess you could say, this offense uh, is designed to function or was, I guess, since now we are not running a Chris Peterson offense anymore and who knows what it will be. Um, yeah, I kind of I wasn't expecting him to put up huge numbers, really. I didn't expect it to be this close to Jake Browning, um, but I'm not shocked. Yeah, Max pointed that out in one of the season in review. He did the blind taste test. We put them next to each other, and it was kind of mm. startling that it was as similar as that. But uh, when you look at over the course of the season, it was almost indistinguishable, if you think about it, from the mm. uh, tantalizingly close performances against high-end opponents to the shockingly bad performances against uh, inexplicably uh, inferior opposition and you know it's kind of in the larger shape of it the one advantage that Browning ended up having was he pulled off more wins in those disappointing games and got us to a uh, conference championship whereas Easton had a few more losses not entirely his responsibility but uh, it did shake out that way in the end next award the next uh, good boy is the charcuterie award for the greatest appetizer that I wouldn't mind seeing turned into an entree and this good boy so but I love it. Yes. Go on. Uh, is the is, this one goes to Puka Nakua, who we got just a taste of. It's just you know a little dab of pate, maybe a slice of copa, and then you know broke his foot. We didn't get to see him again. Very depressing. Do you have any other tortured uh, metaphors or analogies between Puka Nakua and cured meats? Um, no, but I do enjoy that sentence, and I would like it put on my tombstone. Um, I do, I also kind of, this is a stretch, because obviously no one, no one deserves the charcuterie appetizer award more than Puka, but if you had to put another nominee there, I suppose, 
you could maybe say MJ to BC. Just yeah, he'd see. probably be the runner-up. He, he's probably the um, bacon wrap yeah. scallops of this uh, category or something like that. Yeah, the the uh, the crab rangoon. Um, yes. Yeah, just because, just because you, you, we haven't really had an enforcer on the in the linebackers since Azim Victor and like 2016 Azim Victor, obviously. Mm-hmm. So um, I, he obviously doesn't have that the same, or at least didn't um, have that, that same kind of always in the right place at the right time factor that Eddie had uh, so far this year. But um, especially, I feel like a couple, a few games leading into that injury uh, when we stopped seeing him. Um, there, were, I feel like there were a handful of hits that he made where you're just like watching that, like, oh, oh that's that's what you're gonna do, okay? And and just knowing if for offensive players that you know that mental the the mental effect of having someone who can hit like that, um, a Cam Chancellor of the linebackers, if you will. But yeah, I mean that's kind of pressing to include him in that. I think Puka is clearly the clearly the 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 winner. Excellent. Yes. Uh, so we'll honor him with, you know, a large platter of meat, the finest meat and cheeses. Uh, good the, tofu. Uh, the next award is the Ralph Sampson Award for the most disappointing loss. I, I thought through uh, who to name this after. I, I thought about the Soviet Olympic hockey team. Uh, the Ralph Sampson Award uh, obviously is a reference, maybe not obvious, is a reference to uh, his extremely dominant University of Virginia team in, I believe, 1982, going to the what was now known as the Maui Invitational and losing to Division II Chaminade uh, in one of the biggest college basketball upsets of all time. Uh, there may be another name for this very good boy, but one way or another, the most disappointing loss of the season for me was the Stanford game. Because at that point, I kind of wrote off the Cal loss as, you know, it was happened at 2 in the morning or whatever, we were dealing with this thunder. There was a long delay. Cal's defense was legitimately really good. The team still looked like, you know, maybe they were actually a competitive team, minus Chase Garbers getting hurt later in the year and then sliding backwards. I could kind of squint and excuse the Cal loss, but when so many of the same problems reared their head in the Stanford game, it was clear that there were some flaws in this year's Husky team that was going to prevent it from being a contender in the conference. And that was when my hopes went from still fairly optimistic that they, you know, we could go wire to wire as a contender in the conference to thinking that was probably unrealistic. Do you feel the same way? Was that the, the game that kind of ruined it for you? I mean, obviously the Colorado game is uh, another one high on the list. I don't know which one everyone's kind of, we're going to get hit by these differently. And I'm curious which one, uh, had the biggest impact on you? Yeah, when you when I first saw this, saw you write this down as an award, I think my initial response was probably it was like tied between Stanford and Colorado, with Colorado having a little bit of an edge. But then hearing you explain your rationale behind Stanford, I think that's totally right. Because after Cal, it felt like this just ridiculous game that probably shouldn't have been played anyway, and it was such a cluster. And who even knows? You know, just kind of one of those like chaotic evil games um and then yeah and then also seeing seeing the offensive line just completely implode like that against Stanford and in the secondary these you know have their issues in a way that they we are not used to them having uh to say the least um was just this really jarring kind of thing of of in 
it was a low that you don't in previous years for me anyway I hadn't really imagined as far as just being that just shitty frankly (laughs) and and then being like oh fork and I think there are elements to each of those three losses that really hurt and you could throw the Oregon game in there too based on how the game went and it felt like it was going to be a win and a really okay. meaningful win and just didn't work out that way and it ended on that disappointing non-call on what looked like possible pass interference I think that's a little different I guess people are going to react to these things differently but for me I just didn't really ever think that was going to be a win and it looked like gravy when we were playing so well early in the game and yeah. I I was just more let down, particularly by the Stanford game. The Colorado game was weird because it's just like nothing went right the whole game. At least in the the Stanford game, it looked like Richard Newton, we were kind of leaning on him offensively until he got hurt, and then things really went off the rails, and the the play calling got fairly questionable with going all pass all the time when that wasn't working, and very frustrating game. I don't know. I'm ready to stop talking about this, but congratulations to Stanford for – for winning that very good boy. Yeah. So on counterpoint, our last award of the first half of the show, and then we'll take a little break, is the favorite play of the year. And I think these may not be the same for both of us, but we can each give our own uh, very good boy for this one. And mine is from the very first game, it was Jacob Easton's 50-yard touchdown pass to Andre Bocelli. And kind of for the, the inverse of all the reasons I was just describing with that Stanford game, at that moment, it felt like absolutely anything was possible this year. We were in the second quarter, I think, of the first game of the season, and the quarterback, for the first time in four years, we had the quarterback just throw the ball over everybody on the defense and one of our receivers run under it and catch a touchdown. And I, I remember turning around. It was a gorgeous day, just so glad to be at the game. And one of my friends just said something like, that's something we can do now. And it was a great feeling. And it, it was one of about three times all year that the offense actually did that. But at that moment, it felt really, really good. Yeah. Ooh, I didn't actually think of one for this until right now, the last about 30 seconds of you describing that. I think I think I might have to go with Puka um, Nakua's catch against Arizona where he, like, broke – Three or you know it was just like that. It was a super physical catch through the guy's side, and then either broke a tackle or like ran ten yards with the guy on his back. And like he's he's not quick enough of an accelerator to uh to really get away, and it could have been a touchdown. But it was just so satisfying seeing a receiver that was able to out physical his opponents and and break some tackles and stuff and and fight for that extra yardage. That really hasn't been something we've seen in I'm racking my brain a while. Uh, It's been a a sec. So it was real. That was just really satisfying to watch. And, and kind of in that same way that you're, you're seeing that arm strength and going, Ooh, haven't seen that in a while. And it's the, I think that's the the past catcher version of that, that right there. I'd give a, a quick shout to uh, Savan Ahmed's great run, the long touchdown against USC in a game that mattered a lot. Also, Aaron Fuller on the, the toe-tap touchdown, also in the Eastern game. Just a couple that jump out in my mind. 
Uh, very good place. So let's stop there for the first half. We'll come back in the second half. These awards are going to get dumber and goofier, so if that works for you, stick around. If not, also stick around. You already downloaded it. What's the difference? So we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to the Very Good Boys. It's the year-end awards for All We Hear is Purple. We're just going to jump right back into some more uh, imaginary social constructions of awards, as Gaby described them earlier. Uh, the only, first one. For, for the record, I only describe them as awards are a social construct, and none of them are real anyway, because all awards aren't real. So I don't know why I felt the need to chime in and defend myself there, but for some reason it's important. I guess if you phrase it that way, it does put us on the same plane as yeah. the Heisman Trophy, so that's a good yeah. way to do it. Give uh, me shit. We're gonna, I'm nominating for the award for the best stadium concession of the year. Uh, the kickoff coffee is a tradition of all the games that, you know, you spend some time at the tailgate, and then you're going to go inside. I make it a, a practice not to stand in the two-hour-long beer lines in the uh, off-leash deck or going to the zone. So uh, I have a cup of coffee from the concession stand at the start of the game. Clears me right up. Makes it much more enjoyable to watch the rest of the game. We, I do sit on the 300 level, so the concession uh, options are a little more limited. Uh, somebody who sits in better seats might have better options for concessions. Do you have any feelings on uh, Husky Stadium concessions one way or the other? Uh. I'm gonna I'm gonna level with you, Andrew. I think I think you're a very funny person, and I very much enjoy doing this podcast with you. And I always enjoy your insights. But that is the dumbest award you could ever <laughs> come up. With. Okay, next so, award. Yeah, I don't. I, I I think you're you might change your mind about that in the next 15 minutes. Oh. Next award, uh, the best uniform matchup of the year. I'm a little bit of a uniform traditionalist, so drum roll. I went with USC at UW for games that the Huskies played in this year. This is my favorite one. I like, actually like USC's home uniforms a little bit better, uh, but the road uniforms are clean, traditional, uh, carry a lot of history with them. And I really, I think the first time I saw the new Huskies Adidas uniforms, I preferred the away uniforms. But the home, the home purples grew on me over time, and by the end, I, I really started to like them a lot. So that was my preference for the best uniform matchup that I watched this year. I can deal with that. I think my, my runner-up would be the BYU game, because I think that was the one where we, the dogs were wearing their home because BYU yeah. wanted to do whatever, but... And at first I was like, oh, really, BYU? Shut up. Don't be lame. Stop it. But then I have to admit, on the field, both of them, like, they're white and they're royal blue because they've been wearing a lot more royal blue lately instead of the old old navy. Old, ah, uh, old navy. Like old navy. Um, okay, focus. Um, yeah, I thought it looked pretty good. Anyways, still not as dumb as kickoff coffee. So, <laughs> I I actually thought about that BYU one, but I kind of disqualified it for its, them changing their uniforms. Just seems like an unnecessary flex, like trying to be the Dallas Cowboys. Seemed weird to me, but I did like those uniforms a lot. Uh, the uh, flip side of this coin is the worst uniform matchup. Uh, this award, in a bit of an upset, goes to the Huskies at Arizona. I just explained why I like the home uniforms better than the road uniforms. And Arizona's uniforms just looked like they were trying way too hard this year. They, they, they were all Navy. 
and they, they try to make them super modern with no trim around the num- the red numbers, so it's just bright red on the navy. Okay color combination, but a little overdone. But then they had this pixelated pattern on the shoulder pads, looked really stupid. And then they wore the same helmets they've been wearing for 30 years. So they did the extremely modern jerseys, extremely traditional helmets. And then, this isn't part of the uniform, but one of my friends pointed out to me that if you look very closely, the A logo at the center of their field is very slightly off-center. And it's not one time. Every game, the A is about three inches tilted to the right. It's not in italics. There's no reason for it, and it just drives me nuts every time I see it now. Do you have any feelings about uh, bad uniforms from this season? Uh, just that uh, Arizona's uniforms have been bad for a, for a minute, and so I fully agree with you. When they and were now, all now, white, they're less bad, I would say. Uh, yeah, yeah, barely, but sure, yes. Barely. And barely. then also now that you've brought this this off center A to my attention, like that's gonna be stuck in my brain until I die. So the double yeah, juice. Yeah, it's terrible, and, and I don't know why they do it. They need a new groundskeeper desperately. Uh, the next award. See if I was voting, uh, this would be my vote for the uh, dumbest award. It's the Gatorade Bath of the Year. Very good boy, and it goes to the Cheez-It Bowl, where they dumped a bucket of Cheez-Its on the Air Force head coach at the end of the game, with an honorable mention to the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, where Arizona State won, and they dumped a big thing of Frosted Flakes on Herm Edwards. Um, yes. Okay, so I agree with you for the Cheez-It Bowl, and yet this is, okay, I will, I will grant you this. This is objectively... If you can have an objectively stupid thing, this is objectively the stupidest, but this is a, the stupidest in a way that is lovable and fun. So, <laughs> if it's, um, yeah, see, I think you have to push beyond the limits of what you consider lovable and fun to just be truly stupid and absurd. Maybe it's so. just that the Cheez-It Bowl, the Cheez-It Bowl is, is, even though it's only been around for two years, it's already a classic. It's my mom's favorite bowl. Uh, <laughs> My mom is a big fan of the Cheez It Bowl and Cable Thanos on Twitter. Uh, but I, this, where I disagree with you on uh, who is the, the second runner up is Screw Tony the Tiger Bowl or whatever it's called. Uh, the I- famous Idaho Potato Bowl. They dump French fries on the coach. And then I forget who it was. Uh, is that Louisiana? Yes. Yes. I think it was Ohio. That. For Miami sorry, yeah. um, and then he just like ate fries off of himself and that there's something about that that I feel like if, if you could distill America into one image it would be a, a man a middle-aged man coaching children effectively who are playing a very excessively unnecessarily violent sport eating fried potatoes off of his body and I also have a soft spot for the famous Idaho potato bowl because a a friend of mine went viral for dancing in the stands while double fisting baked potatoes. So it'll always be a uh, between that and eating potatoes off your body. It's just like yeah. It, in fact, that might even be better than cheese it bowl. What would be? This is an impromptu award that I just thought of the best potato preparation to dump on a coach after a game because I mean, fries are good, but is vodka. there for sure vodka? You can make it oh, vodka. <laughs> you can make it like if you want it to be like traditional. Uh, you can be half vodka, half Gatorade, I guess, because um, then you get that bright blue Arctic blasts 
stain, but also the vodka, and it stays <laughs> in liquid form. So you keep that traditional. You know, I know we have a lot of listeners who are old school traditionalists. They don't. They like old school uniforms. They like whatever and blah blah blah. I'm sure they would also like traditional uh, celebratory uh, Gatorade baths. So this, you know, combines the new and the uh, ritual. I think I'd go with scalp. That would be a terrible one. Uh, I hate um, you so much. <laughs> the next award is the Hot Dogs Are for Peasants Tailgate Food of the Year that I ate at a tailgate this year. You can obviously give a different award for what you ate. Um, and I was trying to get the actual recipe from my friend, but he didn't respond in time. I'm checking again now to make sure. Nope, didn't respond in time. So I was going to nominate his the breakfast burritos he made for one of the early season games, but that's off the board now. I'm going with the sous vide duck sliders that he made for uh, the Oregon game, which were very, very good. Uh, put He had like a Hawaiian coleslaw and the, King's, or the, the Hawaiian rolls and put the sous vide duck, threw it on the uh, flat iron grill for you know a minute or two just to crisp up the fat, render it a little bit. It, it was very, very good. Uh, we have a tradition of I was eating duck before the Oregon game as like, oh, we're eating our opponents. But it usually goes badly. So, I mean, maybe that's something I should stop doing because it never seems yeah. to work out. That sounds – I don't even have uh, something to add to that, except for I guess I could go with my favorite tailgate uh, food was – the, my favorite thing to consume, I'll phrase it that way, at a tailgate was the love of Dubs One, mm. who stopped by, and we got to cuddle. Uh, but that sounds incredible, and I'm really hungry right now. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I the best part. I was trying to explain to people that like I, I love going to Husky tailgates, and I'm not even a heavy drinker. I just really, really like the food that my friends uh, make and. Uh, it's just a, like a very good uh, social setting, and God, the food is so good. Anyway, moving along, uh, the what we're we're getting into the big ones now. This is you know like when you start moving out of the sound editing and sound mixing awards at the Oscars. We're now moving into some of the most meaningful games of the uh, most meaningful awards. This one is the Benadryl Award for the game during which my infant was least disruptive. And in a surprise twist, it was the Stanford game. Uh, she went to bed because it was a very late start time, and she just slept through pretty much the whole game. So I was able to watch the game very focused. Uh, so that's the very good boy for uh, – it's actually, in this case, a very good girl for sleeping through <laughs> the Stanford game. I'm going to assume you don't have a different nominee for that one. Well, can we just take a moment to appreciate how creepy it would be if I went, oh, yes, and – my nomination for the best sleep <laughs> your child had. Yes. Uh-huh. Correct, I don't. Yeah. She also did a great job, I got to say, during the USC game, stayed in the stadium the whole way through at, uh, what was it at that point, three months old, two and a half months old. Very good job. Uh, you kinda really just sound like talking about a dog. Like, I would bring one of my dogs to a game if they allowed it, uh, but that – Probably not a good idea. Uh, Gaby, you had a couple of separate awards that I haven't seen yet. Do you want to throw those out now? Yes, I would. Um, The first one, and I'm only including this because I waited all year for a moment to be perfect so that I could tweet this out as a meme, and then the season ended and no moment hit. 
so now I'm having to do it retroactively, uh, which is the um, I have a pair of Levi's pants that are the model uh, super skinny, and so I had to do the My Pants Award for the best skinny Eason moment where he became super skinny, and uh, I think that that would have to be off the top of my head. Um, the Richard Newton toe tap for a touchdown against BYU where he had like, I don't know, three or four seconds in the pocket or before uh, someone, one of the BYU edge rushers started getting to him and then he ran sideways, throws it out and we all go, oh, he's throwing it out of bounds. And then he hits Newton. Yeah. He had like a centimeter between his, both his feet and the uh, sideline. And that was, I think that was the my pants moment. Which is a very weird sentence that I never thought would come out of my mouth, but here we are in That's 2020. Another one that came to mind for me, uh, I, this isn't super specific, but there was one play in the bowl game uh, where the pressure was coming from behind, and you could tell he was starting to spin backwards, and he thought better of it. It was like he tapped his temple, like, ah, see, I learned, and he stepped up in the pocket and completed a pass. And it ended up being like a six-yard gain or something, but it was just so gratifying to see him not spin backwards into the pressure. And doesn't that make it hurt so much more that he's leaving next year? Because it's like, oh, if you come back, if you came back and worked on that one thing. (laughs) That's probably why he left. It's like now that I've proven I can step up in the pocket instead of spinning backwards away from pressure, I no longer need to be. You only need one sample size. You don't need more for NFL draft, for the NFL draft. You do it once, and they're like, oh, okay. That'll like be Kyle Bowler throwing it from midfield to the uprights from his knees. Like, you've proven you can do it. Now you just need to incorporate it into game action. Yeah, always. Okay, so that's that. Um, and then the second one is in honor of my dad because he's into – he's mentioned he, – he's, he's one of those people that I think I inherited this a little bit too, that, like, when he likes something, you will know about it because he will mention it <laughs> a lot. And he mentioned this – a lot um, to the point where I kind of latched onto it too, which is um, the get off my lawn award for the most old timer uh, tendencies. And that's Kate Otten for not wearing any gloves for not in, like, I don't, I don't know when the last time I was that I saw a receiver tight end not wearing gloves. Uh, never. Uh, and just like taping his fingers individually, no gloves, taping his wrist because whatever, and then just kind of playing like an old, not like old school run block only, but just like super versatile kind of bone crusher, giant like wad of a human being. And then you combine that with the lack of gloves, and I'm like, yeah, you look like what a football player looks like. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. old Scott, old style. Just so. Yeah. Anyway, that's a long him. way in an NFL films clip like on the sidelines in a cold game with steam coming off his head and John Facenda being like yeah. the winds of winter blue cold <laughs> yeah. he would be yeah, he's great he's he's it's going to be very fun to watch him next year too in a more featured role he's a very fun player to watch yeah that was um yeah so that was just my really long-winded way of saying my dad's a Kate Otten fan and also uh who else really really likes Otten is um uh the Oregon Duck's um, secret identity, but very well respected um, uh, film slash game charting guru kind of dude um, named Hithladay, who you've probably maybe seen on Twitter, maybe seen on Reddit. Um, he's around and is 
I I talk to him usually a few times a year because um, he does a lot of stuff for the Quack 12 podcasts over at Addicted to Quack, and we are we are uh, or I am frenemies with those guys. So, um, and he said when I when we did a preview for the UW Oregon game, and I was a guest on their podcast, that if he could draft one player from UW onto Oregon, it would be Kate Gotten. And that was right after trashing Hunter Bryant, so I was I was skeptical, but I do love the Kate Gotten. It does make sense. I mean, Kate Otten and Hunter Bryant are very different types of players at the same position, so I can see why not liking one would encourage you to probably like the other. To be fair, he he goes super in-depth into stuff, and there's very few people who I, whose opinions I trust more, even though um, there's there have been times where him and I have disagreed, but anywho. Fair enough. Are you ready for the big one, for the, the best boy, the granddaddy of them all? I think so. All right. This is, yeah, this is a, this is very exciting. It's the best Husky podcast award, the best Husky podcast of the year. And again, I'm going to let the drum roll come in here and open the envelope. It's all we hear is perfect. We did it. We gave you one year. So I'm so honored and proud that we went all year being the third or fourth most mediocre podcast in Husky football. Uh, on the internet, and we've come away from it. All of that mediocrity has paid off with uh, a very good boy for the best Husky podcast. Is there anybody you want to thank for this? Um, I'd like to thank the Academy and my cat for not um, talking through this whole episode, except for right then. Yeah, the cat wanted to give an acceptance speech. Mm-hmm. And now you can't see it, but I'm crying uh, and uh, m- making blowing kisses to all my loved ones in the audience. Yeah, and we should thank everybody who listened and producer Rob for uh, editing together uh, all the times that we stumble over ourselves and making it sound like we uh, don't re-record every single bit of this 11 times. No, it's not true. Uh, but thanks for everybody. Uh, we, I, As we wrap up today, I should mention that uh, this is probably going to be more like our regular off-season schedule every two to three weeks as things happen. Planning on doing a show when we find out who the new offense coordinator is. A little surprised we haven't heard anything yet, although uh, as news breaks, uh, we will have a new episode ready. And we've got a few ideas uh, to talk about nonsense during the offseason because there aren't actual games to talk about. But we enjoy doing this, and we hope uh, a handful of you will stick around to listen for the rest of the offseason. Uh, Gabe, before we wrap up, is there anything uh, additional that you'd like to mention or plug or recommend before we uh, sign off until offensive coordinator episode forthcoming? Um, that is a good one. Um, question. Okay. Um, I, I'll be in, if you're in Vancouver, which I'm sure you're not, because why would you be? Um, but I'll be at Jokes, please, at, at Little Mountain Gallery in Vancouver on next Thursday, so a week from now. Um, and, uh, yeah, what else? I, oh, if you haven't watched, oh, no, I think I already gave a, a plug for Jenny Slate's special, new special on Netflix a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, if you didn't, I did. Uh, that was very good, yeah. You, okay. I think, yeah, one of us did, so never mind. I'll take that back. I, I could toot my own horn because I kind of won a thing this week, but I'm not going to because there's literally nothing anyone listening to this can watch or take away from it other than I don't suck all the time. So. <laughs> well, congratulations. And the thing that yeah. gave you one uh, naturally is the uh, Very Good Boy Award for Best Husky Podcast of the mm-hmm. Year. Uh, oh, yeah, I should have clarified. It wasn't anything, uh, it wasn't anything not related to this at all. 
ever. <laughs> no, if you really want to find out, you can go creep on my Twitter. It's somewhere on there. Yeah. Uh, if you, what other, I found this very fun list on Decider. Uh, it was like a, a decade in review uh, listed the, the individual's 10 favorite uh, stand-up specials of the 2010s. And the I'd probably seen six or seven of them, but the ones that I'd seen I liked enough that uh, I went back and watched the other ones. And the first one I hadn't seen before I really enjoyed was a Dan Gould special from mm-hmm. I think 2012 called it's called I think it's called I Know It's Wrong something like that. Very very oh, good. Yeah. Holds up well. Um, I hadn't seen that one before. Dana Gould's very funny. I uh, worked on The Simpsons, did a bunch of other stuff. He's just a really good comedian and. Uh, if you do want to watch stand-up, I think that's on either Netflix or Amazon Prime. Uh, easy to stream and uh, definitely an enjoyable special. Yeah. Also, wait, can I do one more? Yeah. If I don't think – this isn't new. This has been out for, like, six or seven years, but it just popped into my brain. And in in the spirit of how stupid this whole episode has been, um, it's also a very strange, silly one, and that is Eugene Merman's uh, Vegan on His Way to the Complaint Store. Um, which is on Netflix too. And, uh, it's, uh, if you do not know, Eugene Merman is, he was the landlord in Planet of the Concords and voices Gene on Bob's Burgers and just does a bunch of weird stuff. Um, and he's one of those comics that's like just very strange in stylistically and in content wise, but in a way that isn't, uh, inaccessible. Like I feel like some people are very, um, you know, not they're not for everybody because they're maybe like in a performing or in a almost performance art kind of. Um, and but he's just so unbelievably weirdly funny and creative and silly. Um, and I I very much recommend that one. That one will bring you pure joy. And even if you're not laughing, you're like I I'm happy right now. Yeah, he's very funny. I actually saw him open for Flight of the Concords one time in Philadelphia. He was hilarious. He was, I, they were great. He was much funnier than they were. Yeah, uh, he's so weird. I love him so yeah, much. he's great. Did you watch his special? Uh, he did a couple years ago, maybe a year ago, where it was, like, based around politics, and he would go to different, like, politically polarized parts of the country and, and kind of just, like, troll the audience. So he'd do, like, a super uh, liberal... Uh, stand up and argue with the, the audience in the deep south in a super conservative special in like northern California uh, is very funny concept. Uh, it, it wasn't like he was being a dick about it. He was just kind of like doing it and you know uh, taking the devil's advocate point of view and improvising jokes all the way through it. So it was it was yeah. very impressive and he turned it into a stand up special, which seemed like it'd be very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I haven't seen that, but that sounds very delightful. All right, um, so yeah, okay. gone very it. far afield. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. Like I said before, we'll be back in probably a week or two, depending on when we find out about the offensive coordinator, to talk about that and any other news that comes up. For the time being, thanks for listening, uh, and we will be back in uh, some amount of indeterminate time. Yep, do good things. Don't suck. Bye.